Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name is Panos and today we have a question come in from Aaron. It's been a while since we have a Q&A so I thought this is a bit, I chose this one because I thought it would be a good one, a little bit more relatable to where I'm at now. Um, if you listened to the last episode that we've been trialing a dog called Chili and I have ha- happy to say an announcement that we have made the decision that he's going to stay with us so soon over the next couple of days we'll sign his registration over to us and we have a new dog but Chili has some similar sort of behaviors to what Aaron has here with his dog called Luna. I'm going to read out the question. I'll kind of paraphrase it a little bit because it's a little bit long. He's an avid listener of the podcast. He also is a client of mine. I have seen him once or twice, so I do know a little bit about Luna, so I can give maybe a little bit of of a backstory or even at least a little bit of my experience with her. And I can kind of explain what sort of behavior she's showing so then you as a listener can identify as that something like your dog. So he goes, hey, I've got a podcast ID, if you can cover it. He goes, and I'm a fan of a fan of your podcast. So that's great. Again, having some technical issues. And I haven't put my phone on silent. I've already started on a negative note. Sorry, guys. All right, so Luna all of a sudden heard something in our building garage and elevator that sends her barking. She was well socialized at the car park and elevator as she's been doing the same walk to and from the car since day one. If in the podcast could discuss fixing this problem, um, where a dog is guaranteed to bark in a certain situation and steps you would take to rectify. Like how would you make use of treats and what to do when she starts barking? Example, should I make her sit? The bigger issue being we cannot avoid this and we need to go that way to get to the car. That's an important point. So um, it's basically what he said there. So let's unpack that a little bit. We see a dog barking and we want to fix barking. Just like what we talked about with the, I think it was episode 99 with Brent. We, and when we had Brent on, we were talking about reactivity and we talked about confidence building and we talked about focus and engagement. And those are some of the most basic steps of how we would fix it. We're not looking at how do I fix barking? Barking's a symptom behavior. We need to look at what is it that's making her bark. She's scared of this sound. Well, then I'm, I'm sure, and knowing a little bit of Luna, it's not just the, the sound that she hears in the garage that sends her off barking, but other dog barking or maybe seeing another dog. Sometimes she reacts, sometimes she doesn't. So there's a common denominator here and it may be a little bit tough to understand. This could also be related to a fear period. I'm, I believe she's around one years old. I could be wrong. She could be a little bit older. Is she going through a bout of... of um, all of a sudden being scared of something and then maybe in a couple of weeks it goes away. Maybe, maybe it's a fear period. I don't think so. But again, you can listen to that episode. It was maybe two or three episodes ago talking about fear periods in puppies and how they, as they develop, we go through these things. But it could also be that during those fear periods, during those critical periods of um, development between that seven and 17 weeks, is that we? that's where we really fix behaviors. We fix those sort of behavioral issues the most there because we will see similar behaviors. Again, if we haven't had guidance in that time or, or 
if you had guidance at that time, but the person wasn't or the trainer wasn't seeing those problems. I only saw Luna maybe about three, four months ago or maybe five months ago now. So she's probably about a year and a half old now. And the initial issue was she would randomly start barking in the apartment. So just randomly, randomly, she would bark. Now we identified there was a few things that would make her bark. First of all, she mainly barked when Aaron or his girlfriend were at home. When nobody was home, there was no barking. So that's a number one thing. It's like, I wouldn't say a red flag, but it's a thing to take note of is, well, she's not barking for self-preservation. She could be barking for some form of reinforcement. She maybe have been rewarded for barking at things by, um, by her owners. Or it could be that when she barks, she seeks more or when she gets frightened, she knows that her bark can create, again, it's like a form of reinforcement, creates a situation where it can soothe her. So, um, so basically, what we need to work on in this moment here and, and discuss is if she's unsure of random sounds, what is the most ideal response? So something that Michael Ellis, and if you don't know who that is, check him out on YouTube. There's millions of videos of him. Michael Ellis was talking in um, a video I watched where, and he said something really clear. And we always knew this, and I've probably spoken about this as well, but he said it perfectly, is that we may not ever get rid and remedy anxiety but we can teach our dogs coping mechanisms. And that's a powerful concept is that if you're unsure of something, you may be always a little bit unsure. Like for me, I may seem confident, but there's things that bother me and it may be clear. It may not be clear. It depends on how much you know me. I may, I may even seek some discomfort so I can learn to cope with those certain, certain situations. So it's important that we identify what it is and what type of stimulus or occurrence in the environment which creates this behavior. So we'll talk real quickly about Chile. As I mentioned in the last episode, a dog that came from rural New South Wales, now coming into suburbia, things have been a lot different for him. Now in the last two and a half weeks, wow, huge. Or maybe it's almost, yeah, two and a half weeks. So now, and I did say last time that every single walk I take food. Well, now recently I've been taking a little bit less food, maybe even no food. I'd have his ball and we go to the park and we do training there. But I'm trying now to make sure that he's not obsessing over food every time he seeks something. And, the, and my theory for there is that something real quick. I was in the backyard with them. Uh, we're just hanging out, me and my wife, and, and some sound happened at the front. I don't know, box fell or someone's probably putting something in a bin, but it wasn't like a usual sound. It was something. It could have even been my cat jumping on the, on the fence and it makes the gate rattle. That makes spades do it. <laughs> And then Chili was like, oh, what the hell is that? And he, you know, got a little bit concerned, nothing crazy. But then what was really interesting, maybe about two and a half seconds later, he like sprints to me and all, like, and I was sitting on the chair, like he jumped on me, put his paws on me and like looked at me with intensity. And I'm like, ah, oh, good boy. And I gave him a pat. And then only a second or two later, I'm like, oh, that's his conditioned response because he's heard the sound. He's unsure of it. Now he's seeking some possible reinforcement. And that's the power of um, intermittent reinforcement is that he doesn't, I had no food on me. There was no presence of food. There was no smell of food. There was nothing. It was probably even after he's had his meal. So, so that he doesn't think that all food potentially coming. However, he goes, something scary. I focus on you. I teach him a coping mechanism. I will deal with the situation. He looks at me. He gets something that he wants. He's being existentially rewarded. So he's getting all of his food from me. So he goes, maybe that scary things are potential for me to come to you to get something. So that's really powerful. That's what we want Luna to be able to do. And what we want all of our dogs to do. Counter conditioning, let's break it down. Counter means, for example, we'll talk about boxing. Someone pot punches, you counter strike by moving and, and using that opportunity of that strike to attack. 
and your attack becomes a defense. So you would say defense would be moving back and blocking and attack would be striking. Well, if you can counter attack, use their, their attack for you to use your defense attack at the same time, that would be what we're trying to do with counter conditioning. The conditioned response is to bark when she hears something or sees something she's unsure of, she's insecure of. Her reaction to that, her response I want is she has something scary happening. She focuses on us, we mark it and we reward it. And the point of that is that we now show a coping mechanism. You're unsure of something, focus on me, I'll help you out. Because the truth is, it's not like the sound is an earthquake and we're all going to die or something happens every time this sound happens. It's a it, Fear can be false evidence appearing real. She hears a sound, she got bothered by it, she had some form of stress and that adverse event has now had a classical conditioning response. She hears the sound, it's like, I was really scary before, I bark at it and every time I bark, the thing goes away and then that's how she has learned to cope and deal with it. So instead of the bark, instead of the grumbling, instead of the growling, focusing back on me. And then over time, she goes, wait, hold on a sec. Even with Chili, he goes, random sounds happen at the front all the time. But what's actually happened from it? I've been able to teach him that sort of mental process by repetition and repetition and repetition of getting that focus back on me. I don't even ask him to do anything. There's no sit. There's no look. I just want him to check in on me. We would say look, obviously, but I'm not saying it. I don't want, and just like what we were talking about in Brent's episode, powerful episode, is he said, we don't want dogs to just only look at us when we tell them to. It has to be a voluntary action. So instead, when you go into the, so now let's talk about the remedy. All of Luna's food should be coming from your pouch for the next three months, for example. Start this off inside the house, do this in, at the front, like so he's living in an apartment. So just walk out the front of your door of the apartment and do it in just in front of your elevator. And then over the next couple of days, do it down the lobby, do it in different places. And then as soon as you get close to the lift, we start to do a training session. I wanted to think when we go to the lift, food's about to happen. You hear something you're not sure about, I would say, I put a little tiny mini bit of pressure onto the leash, say her name, she looks at me, I mark and reward. The point of that pressure is not to be punishing her. It's a bit of um, negative reinforcement to say, when you feel this little tiny pressure, a one or two out of 10, and I say your name, you look at me, I mark and reward. And the point of that function is that when she hits the end of the leash and she feels it, she looks back as a reaction rather than hitting the end of the collar and then pushing into it and barking. That's opposition reflex. We want to try to, again, counter condition. So if she feels over the next three or four days, every time we go to the lift, that's where she gets her dinner rations. And that's where we do our training. And again, I wouldn't be asking for very much. I'd be only going there. Every time you check in on me, I'd just stand there blank. Just stand there. She looks at you, I'd mark and reward. She looks at you, mark and reward. Then do it in the, and inside the elevator. She may be stressed. She may not want to take the food in the elevator. So that's where you stop. And you go, all right, we need to work on this. We're not going down to the car park for this training session with food until she's comfortable being inside the lift taking food. Then we go two levels down. Maybe we go into the lobby before going into the car park. Now, maybe unrealistic. You did say that every day you need to go into the car park to go to the car. We may need to come up with a little strategy for the next week or two while you're doing this just to show that every like we want to set her up for success. Now, if that's not possible, and I get it isn't because I know that there's no real public parking around your place and it's only in the, in the car park. But maybe you say, hey, maybe we don't go for like many walk walks or we don't have to go into the car, but maybe we will um, only go into the car park over the next couple of weeks so we can work on every time you look at me, I start feeding you food. And then once we get that reaction without the, without the sounds, then when the sound appears in the distance, she hears that sound, 
She'll be like, what's that? She looks, I put a little tiny bit of pressure, say her name, and I reward her. Another function of that pressure is that it becomes tactile because she may not be hearing while she's in that stress. She like, And we don't tend to hear very well when we are stressing. Visual becomes very important and, and, and um, pressure on your body, tact- tactile pressure becomes a noticeable cue. So that little bit of pressure may cue to her, look back. I've been doing this heaps with Chili. So um, we're at a session the other day and I've been trying to change his marker so I don't want him to respond to the word come. So I've just been using a different command. I've been saying the Greek word for come, Ella. So basically someone says come to their puppy. He goes, whoa, I'm going to go. And he runs the end of it. I'm holding the leash. He hits the end of the leash and he, on, on his flat collar. Sometimes I put him on a flat collar because I've been training something specific and we may need a whole episode to talk about what am I actually doing with Chili and all the differences and everything else. But on the long lead, I have him on his flat collar on, and when we're walking, short lead walking is on his martingale collar. So in this case, where he's a bit more free because we're not walking and I want Chili, and again, as I said in the last episode, I'm building his confidence, building his focus. I'm not trying to ask him to do too many specific things. And um, so when he heard the word come, he naturally is going to go towards that person, he hit the end of the leash and immediately when he hit the end of the leash, he looked back towards me. I marked it to show him that when other people calling other dogs, you fo- you can focus on me. But when you feel that pressure, I don't want to have to rely on chilly look, chilly look, chilly look, because then he'll only look if I say his name. I don't want him to only respond when he feels pressure on the on the leash. I want him to respond when he goes, hey, should, should we be doing something now? But that's on you. And this is on us as trainers, handlers, owners to be mindful of every interaction. Don't just wait for the barking and then fix barking. Wait for those subtle cues. She starts to show those displacement signals. She's licking her lips. She's doing the fake yawn. Her ears are back and she's like, she's looking around. She's got her front paw up. Look at all these little subtle cues. And those are the cues where you have to respond to. Hey, focus back on me. I got your back. I got your back. And one day she'll give that moment where she hears a sound. She'll look back towards your reward. The reason why I'm saying don't get her to sit, don't get her to down, don't get her to come. Because first of all, she's stressed. She may not do it. What happens when she doesn't do it? Well, technically, if we say sit, we follow through by correcting her by saying, well, when I tell you to do something, you have to do it. Now I'm layering maybe more stress on top of the stressful event. So maybe a bit of fun luring or, and there's no real outcome to luring, just follow my hand and I feed you. It's all about engagement, focusing on me. It's a real simple technique. Don't have to go close to that sound until she's comfortable. And then slowly, slowly, we make that critical distance 15 meters. We want to make it zero meters. We want to slowly get closer. But I get real life's a real life. That's why this podcast is called Life With Your Dog. And we're not talking about dog training with your dog only because life comes in the way of training. Now, if I was to be specific, I'd say, hey, no, we need to control every event she has and we want to leverage off everything. And now it would be perfect world. And I know Aaron's into jujitsu and you would say you would want to... You want to train at your level. You want to train a little bit higher than your level, but you don't want to be crushed every single time, every single time without the person who's more experienced than you, giving you a little bit of leeway so you can perform the technique, so you can build your stamina, build your endurance and your conditioning while still practicing the technical of technical technique. Technical technique, you get my point, right? So what I'm trying to say here is that Set her up for success, do what you can, but life gets in the way. And what I mean by that is you have to go to the car park and you may see the thing and the thing may be random. I would be telling her we only get food. So for another example, we'll go back to Chile, is last night I went for the walk with a friend and normally he would see someone wearing a hoodie in the middle of the dark park. He would like grumble at it. He walked up to it, not concerned at all. Two, and a, two weeks ago, he would have not gone up to him, he would have made a big wide berth. He'd be growling, he'd be unsure of what to do. 
But he looked at Nick, he looked back at me, I gave him a pat, he looked back at Nick, and then he went up, got a pat, we walked. No dramas. So that's where we want to try to head towards. And I know that this may seem very tailish by saying, yeah, it's great for you, Panos, you know what you're looking for. But this is where it does get a little bit hard and tough. So don't get too overwhelmed by it. Try to break it down to biteable chunks. And by showing her that the car park is a place where good things happen. The car park's a place where we actually want to hear those sounds. We want to hear those noises. We want to see those dogs. As you start working on this conditioning, so just like Chili, at first there was no real rules. Do what you got to do, buddy. I'm going to let you kind of be a bit more free on the leash. I did start, of course, layering in what the martingale means. And the reason for that is at first I wanted to assess him and see where he was at. And then also to get those reactions. He sees the umbrella lady. He sees a dog barking behind the fence. And then as, he, as I start working on that counter conditioning, and again, Rachel, the, um, his previous owner had been doing a lot of that. So I was just extending from that. And, and now I want to get to a point where it's like, Hey, these are the rules because he's come to work naturally in the last week has come to every single session. He's been with me all day, every day without spades and nookies. So he's learning to do it all himself. He's doing really well. He's really, really good. And he would actually growl, um, back in the, like at first when he saw a little young puppy, um, not with any aggression, just he's trying to figure out the situation. But now I'm showing him, Hey, when the dog comes out and I pull you out, you're Martin Gale, you're now following the rules. I will acknowledge when you're feeling a little bit unsure, but I will guide you back into the rules of the walk. When we're walking, you have got to stay on the left-hand side. You've got to stay in line with me. No pressure on the leash when, the, when you're back on your flat collar on the long lead. It's go time. You can do what you like within reason. So once Luna gets to a point where she can focus and she's starting to understand and doing something like what Chili does is that, and he does it frequently, he sees something a bit unsure of and straight away he snaps his head towards me. And while we are walking in more busier environments or places where he hasn't really been before. I am going back to that intermittent reward, a little bit more reward than less, and then wind it back again. So it's it's an ebb and flow. We're always moving back and forth depending on where you're at. But those rules of the walk, the obedience rules over time is what holds it together. But we don't want to be layering in too much because if you tell Luna, sit, first of all, she doesn't sit, you've got to correct her. You're adding more stress. But also now she's sitting. If she's insecure, she may not want to be in a frozen state. She may want to be moving. So what I would suggest is I'm walking towards the elevator, a random noise happens, she looks up towards it, I walk backwards. I'm still facing the dog, I'm still facing the, the direction of the sound, so I'm teaching my dog to turn its back and then come back towards me. And that shows that you can make space, you can make space, but to force her into a sit may make her feel more insecure. And people do that with reactive dogs all the time. What happens is we, we walk it down the street, there's a dog coming, it's like, all right, now sit. If your dog's scared of other dogs, the last thing your dog wants to do is sit and stare at the thing coming towards it. And if your dog's going to bark, your dog's now sitting and staring and ready to bark at the dog as they come closer. But movement is key. The more we move, the more we start to control the environment and control their reactions. That's when we can kind of get a little bit more energy moving. So take that, keep that in mind, practice that as much as you can. And, um, and I hope that's answered the question. Again, I feel that we've discussed this in like another 15 episodes um but we're always talking about something specific this is a little bit more specific and of course this is for aaron and anyone who's in aaron's situation where it's not like we're not talking about dogs we're talking about random sounds now um same same just different we need to be able to think like a dog and again remember training's a mindset we need to get into the mindset of training not looking at fixing behaviors there's no there's no such thing as a finished trained dog there's no dog that's 
finished, you don't have to do anything because once you stop training, you may start losing some of those skills just like with anything else. So it's about a mindset. It's about setting you and your dog up for success and bringing back, bringing things right back to basics if you become overwhelmed with the training process. And I think that can happen as well if we're people like me. We try to obsess over things that make them really, really good and we end up screwing it all up. Sometimes you need to kind of give it, you need to kind of bring it back a little bit. Come back to those basics and go, hey, before I get my dog to be calm, I need my dog to be focused. Before I get my dog to do anything, my dog needs to be focused. So is it focus? Is it engagement? Is it telling, teaching your dog how to, again, Michael Ellis, those coping mechanisms. For just when you're not sure, check in. If I'm unsure of something, I may ask a question. Hey, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm a little bit triggered. Can you explain it to me? Or here's something I don't like. I may go, hey, it's nice to be speaking to you now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go now. I'm not, I don't want to participate in this conversation. And then there's times where someone says something and you need to stand your ground and then be assertive over the situation. You need to pick and choose the situation and how your response is. You can't fight everybody. You can't argue with everyone. And you can't run away from every conversation or agree with everybody. You need to know in every situation how to respond. And that would be very much the same with our dogs. How do we teach our dogs to respond to these situations? That's what we want to be looking for. And then we want to be able to teach our dogs to do that voluntarily on their own without much of our assistance. And that's how we can achieve that desensitization of these troubling and adverse stimulus or stimuli. Well, thank you for listening to the episode. I really do appreciate you once again for getting this far into the episode. And if there's any questions or things that you like, um, hit me up, let me know. It always makes us feel good that we get that positive feedback, kind of gives us a little bit of positive reinforcement to keep going, Um, even though I'll do it anyway, and we're going to keep on getting this out there weekly for you. But um, if there's any other questions, anyone's got anything that you want me to answer, um, I'm here for you. So email that through to us, lifewithyourdogpodcast at gmail.com. But probably even better, you can even just DM us on Instagram at lifewithyourdogpodcast. Well, have a great day. I'm about to get changed, so I have another... Another full day of dog training to go. So um, have a great day and we'll speak later. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches.pooches.com.au. Thank you and stay tuned for next time.